Hello and welcome to the Brookwood Church Sunday Message Podcast. In this episode, our senior pastor, Perry Duggar, is leading us back into our marriage series with a message on perseverance. You can find additional resources and our message archives on our website at brookwoodchurch.org or our Brookwood app. broken road leads us to God. You know the meaning of that in your life? I'm not sure we get to God any other way than on that broken road. Back to our series on marriage. Marriage made in heaven, lived out on earth. Take out your message guide. Your outline is the front two panels. Today's message will address perseverance in marriage. The theme verse that I've chosen is, may the Lord lead your hearts into a full understanding and expression of the love of God and the patient endurance that comes from Christ. Does anybody think that marriage requires patient endurance? Do I have any? Well, not married to her though. Well, I understand married to you. Both, both ways, both ways. Of course it does. But that's not how we entered marriage, was it? No, no, we entered starry-eyed, flying on the wings of infatuation, wrapped up in the blanket of euphoria, which we think is love, right? We call that love. And then something happens. And one morning we wake up and we look over there. If we're not snoring so loud, we're not allowed to sleep in the bed anymore. But, but we look over there. And what happened to the woman I married? Where'd the man that said I do? Where did he go? Because this perfect person we have so idealized became real. And what was so what was once so endearing becomes quite irritating. It is so cute that she doesn't know how to balance her checkbook. It's endearing that he doesn't know how to sort clothes or operate a washing machine. He just keeps bumping into that big metal box saying, what is this thing? And after a while, what was charming and lovable becomes irritating. And then it becomes infuriating. Confidence suddenly looks like arrogance. And gentleness becomes weakness. And humility looks an awful lot like fear. And then you start asking whether you might have married the wrong person. Which is never helpful. Because it will change your perspective on marriage. And instead of being motivated toward how to develop intimacy, you start looking for a means of escape. Perhaps you decide, as is popular in our culture today, it's, it's puzzling to me, 
that you've changed and you've grown and you've just grown out of love. But it's no one's fault. So let's separate and let's go our separate ways and we still love each other. That's not even honest. At least two people screaming at each other in a courtroom is at least not more honest than this. We just love each other. We just grew apart. And so now you're going to go on and get with the next person you're infatuated with. And when marriage is no longer enjoyable because of conflict or just sort of that dull, boring sameness, many people decide it's time to find a more, what's the word? Exciting, compatible spouse. By definition, humans are incompatible. Go ahead and write that down. By definition, two humans are incompatible. You may like the same food, but there are a whole lot of ways you're different that you just have not discovered yet. Two self-centered people, two selfish people can't be compatible. We're like two pieces of the puzzle. Well, you are, but the, pu- but the pieces came out of different boxes. But doesn't God allow us to leave marriage? Divorce is established in the Bible. It's mentioned. It's in the law. It is allowed. It's allowed in very limited circumstances, notably adultery and abandonment. But never go far from the, God's attitude to divorce, which says without condition, God hates divorce. Malachi 2.16 And Jesus said that it was permitted only as a concession because of hard hearts and was not what God originally intended, Matthew 19.8. See, understand this. Marriage is an illustration of God's relationship with Israel, Old Testament teaching, and Jesus' relationship with a Christian or the church. So it should be seen as an endearing, permanent merging of two persons into one life. I mean, what if God discarded us when we displeased him? Anybody think they might have displeased God this week? Thankfully, by faith, we can never be abandoned. Thankfully, all of our offenses, accidental or deliberate, have been forgiven by faith. And our relationship, including our forgiveness and our eternity, are secure. See, the challenge in marriage is not to keep on loving the person we thought we were married or the person that we created in our minds. The challenge is to learn how to love the person we did marry for a lifetime. Anybody discovered that it's not the same one? The one that said I do doesn't? Anybody find that? Felicia, you find that out ever? 
Oh, well, I saw that look. <laughs> We're going to interview you. Come on up here. Um, it isn't that our marriages are fatally flawed. It's not that you married the wrong person. There was a time when you were convinced, I can live with this person all my life. It's interesting how people start getting dishonest and say, I, I, I never loved you and that sort of foolishness. There was a moment when they, that person, both those people thought, I can live with you for eternity. Now, true, you may have been closing your eyes to some issues that were there. But it's not that our marriages are fatally flawed. Our marriages can endure through perseverance. And several essentials. I'm just going to give you three essentials. It's a lot to apply in these messages. So, First, express communication. Look at Ephesians 4.3 on the screen. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in spirit. Binding yourselves together with peace. Does that sound like it implies effort? It's interesting how in our culture, we don't want to put effort into hardly anything. Marriage becomes difficult. We bounce out. We leave churches. We leave jobs. We leave, you know, at the slightest difficulty. But we can be bound together in peace. We can pursue oneness that's found in intimacy, but it requires effort. And communication is essential for intimacy to develop. And intimacy is necessary for a marriage to endure. One researcher found, however, that the average married couple communicates, give me a guess, how much per week? An hour per week, okay? What what's somebody say over here? 30 minutes. Who said that? You're... Not yours, not yours. (laughs) Not yours, Liz. But that, it takes courage for a guy to say that in the open. But his name is Ulysses and he's living in the South. So what do you, I mean. (laughs) 27 minutes, you didn't miss it far. 27 minutes per week. And the most words are spoken in the, on the third date and the year before divorce. The sense of union when two people become one will not happen without both spouses deliberately moving toward each other. By communication and connection. You can almost put connection in parentheses of communication. See, here's the thing. Intimate experiences can occur spontaneously. We fell in love when we were both caught in the rain without an umbrella. You just got soggy drawers is all that happened. But, but, 
you thought that was love. That squishing you heard was not your heart. <laughs> but intimate relationships are the result of deliberate, continual efforts to connect. You hear that? Very different. Intimate experiences can occur spontaneously, but, but you can't build a relationship on an intimate experience, on a serendipitous occurrence. Getting married is agreeing to grow together, to commingle our entire lives, physically, which we'll look at some next week, but also mentally, emotionally, and spiritually, to share all of ourselves. That's why it's essential for believers to marry believers, because then look at the lopsided arrangement you start with. You have nothing, one person has nothing of a spiritual nature to share. And so we have the responsibility to communicate our feelings, to share our experiences, to explain our perspectives to our spouses so understanding can develop. Unfortunately, this occurs in a lot of our homes. A wife says, do you still love me? You never say it anymore. The husband looks up from his paper, although we don't really get papers anymore, from his iPad, let's say. Well, I told you I loved you when I married you, and if I change my mind, I'll let you know. <laughs> that, how many of you men think that cuts it? But, but how many of you are living that out? We damage our relationships when we grow silent. And we withdraw so that distance descends on the relationship and separation becomes the status quo. Some of us think that as long as we don't attack our spouses and we avoid saying cruel things, that we're being good spouses. But the opposite of love isn't hatred. Who knows what it is? Indifference. Another way of saying that is apathy. The opposite of love in a marriage or really in any relationship is not hate. It's indifference. At least hate has some passion about it. It's apathy. Are we displaying apathy in our relationships with our spouses, with our friends? What about with God? We owe our spouses the gift of ourselves. It's an obligation. It's a duty, particularly of believing spouses. And it's part of our spiritual growth. Remember that we started with this idea that marriage offers the most intense setting for discipleship. And I believe, you decide whether you do, that when God said it's not good for man to be alone, he, he meant for his development. 
more than he meant, the poor man would be lonely. He could find some sport to watch, I'm sure, even in the garden. Two squirrels racing down a limb or something. But <laughs> Our commitment to communication includes a willingness to engage in conflict. Some of you that are completely passive and you have decided that spiritual, it's not spiritual when there's an obligation to speak. And have y'all discovered that there's any, there are any issues in a marriage that need to be compromised about? The time of great conflict is upon us. Not Halloween. We can usually get by that one. Where are we going to eat our turkey? Well, my mama wants us there for Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. When is she going to see the grandchildren? Well, I don't like your grandmother and I really don't, your mother, and I don't want her near my children. I mean, there's a lot, there's a lot of things that have to be compromised, right? And a lot of that is going to come into focus here in this next season. Start now working that out. Or y'all will have miserable holidays. But see, some of us have avoided those discussions because we're uncomfortable about them. I mean, look at what you have to, you have to decide. Are we having kids? How many kids? What are we going to do? Where will our kids go to school? I mean, there, there's a thousand and one decisions. And some of them elicit conflict. So we have to be willing to engage in conflict to come to compromise. We have to... We have to sometimes even force ourselves to move toward, move toward each other instead of retreating. See, some of us think that just a completely quiet house is, reveals per, a perfect marriage or even a good marriage. I don't think so. Sometimes an absence of conflict may demonstrate that the relationship just isn't important enough to fight for. We have gotten content going to our separate corners. And so we live under the same roof. We may even eat at the same table, but we have disconnected our lives. Or it could be that one or possibly even both individuals are too insecure to risk disagreement. To deepen intimacy in our marriages... We must deal with areas of disagreement. Honestly and respectfully, avoiding anger and never attacking or using personal insults. Look at this, James 1. Understand this, dear brothers and sisters, dear husbands and wives. You must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. And it almost always damages our marriages. Well, what if one spouse, what if my spouse, fully consumed about his needs, her needs and desires, is unwilling to communicate and really doesn't care about relational or spiritual growth. Some of you may have spouses, but you're 
you come to church alone. Well, you pray. First you pray that God will change that person's heart because God's spirit works from the inside and he can do far more than you'll ever accomplish. Certainly not with nagging or goading. Or... But let me tell you this. I want you to hold on to your chair a minute on this one. But if change doesn't occur, your less than ideal marriage can still provide the context for Christian growth. As you take your disappointment, even your loneliness, to God. So this question... Are you talking to God about your disappointments in marriage? Another essential for an enduring marriage is to embrace difficulties. Romans 12, 12. Rejoice in our confident hope. Be patient in trouble. And keep on praying. Every marriage encounters difficulties. Every, everyone experiences troubles and, and unfortunately experiences suffering as well. I mean, why do you think that when you are before the preacher, you make such solemn promises? You know, I've been disappointed sometimes in... in Weddings that I've done, I don't really do too many now. Thankfully, staff does them. Um, but in the past, when it was just me here, I, I didn't do enough lead-up work. And so couples would make these very profound, solemn vows to God. And 30 minutes later, it, it would just be a drunk fest. Y'all know what I'm talking about. And, and it, it, it was so disconnected that now we have a long pre-preparation period for everyone that's married in our church. It's essential. It's helpful, too. But, but the reason that marriage requires such solemn vows, you know, till death us do part, until, or until we part in death, is because remaining married in this most intrusive of all relationships will cause many difficulties and will expose our weaknesses. Or such promises wouldn't be necessary, would they? I mean, you don't, when you're in a marital ceremony, you don't say, I promise that I will eat every day. I promise I will bathe regularly, although some maybe should make that one. But, but we make vows about those things that we would have a tendency not to do. Isn't that right? Our vows before God are, are, are saying, in this area, I will not be selfish. In this area, I will not be self-centered. 
I won't even do what I want to do. God, I'll do what I'm pledging to do before you and all these people in this room that love me. That's what's happening in a wedding. I don't think I need to say that God doesn't protect Christians from their problems. God is committed to remain with us in the midst of those difficulties and those disappointments. And as, as he does, he teaches us that we can trust him. Again, you know, because some are coming to the series since the beginning, I, I just want to repeat, if I expect my spouse to meet all my needs, if I expect my wife to, to provide all my emotional stability, if you protect your husband to always keep you satisfied and content, if you expect each other to complete you, you're going to be very disappointed in marriage and in your spouse in particular. Because many, I would almost say all, you, you decide whether it's all or many, but, but many of our deepest needs about our identity, about our state of being, about this world, can only be met by God. Can only be met by God. My wife can't make me feel okay about myself. She can encourage me. She can, you know, praise me, compliment me, whatever. Only God can speak all the way to my soul, to my identity, and tell me who I am. And it helps when we can view our marital struggles in light of what they do do for us or what they provide for us spiritually rather than what they take from us emotionally. Let me just go ahead and say this. Everyone married in this room, that spouse has cost you something. Not only financially, emotionally, all, all every way, right? So the issue is what's my perspective on this? In fact, I'll, go, I'll say this, since I'm already out on a limb. A difficult marriage may be God's best plan to grow you. To draw you to himself. Well, that, God could never have that plan. Well, why don't you read Hosea? To, to find comfort and peace in his presence when it can't be found in your home. You can find peace in the midst of chaos in Jesus Christ. Always. I'm not saying it's easy to get there, though. But you know what it is? We believe life should be easy, don't we? And somehow there's, there's, there's this manufactured Christianity, which is not Christianity at all. It's just sort of consumerism packaged with a cross that we believe God's responsibility is to make our lives comfortable. 
I can't find that anywhere in my Bible. Maybe, maybe I got my, bought mine on sale or something and it was... Can you find that in your Bibles? Then why do we bring that expectation to life, to marriage? When our marriages or our lives become troublesome... We, get all, we start getting all anxious and we get consumed with trying to make our lives comfortable again. Have you noticed that? I got to get this worked out so that it, it, it's, it's, I'm content, I'm satisfied, it's comfortable. I got to get this reshaped here. Mm -mm. You had to figure out by pursuing God how you can have peace in the midst of discomfort. or we miss a great opportunity for spiritual growth. See, a, a difficult marriage doesn't doom us to a miserable or a meaningless life. I don't think, I don't think God wants us to be in pain, but I do think God wants to fashion us like Christ. And he's going to use the tools at hand. And that's going to often be your spouse. Marriage difficulties can enable us to become the people God created us to be. I mean, the last time you really were not getting along well with your wife, did you ever consider, or your husband, did you ever consider saying, God, thank you for this opportunity to grow? I know some of y'all want to do what he's doing back there. But, but now check me in this, check me in this. I know this is a different way of thinking, but isn't it what James 1 says? Isn't it what Romans 5 says? Count it all joy when you suffer various trials because through them you build endurance. Now I know you may still think life is too short to remain in this unhappy marriage. Again, I'm going to keep saying this. I'm not talking about an abusive situation, okay? Everybody understands that, right? I'm not saying suffer and allow yourself to be abused physically and verbally. That's never what I'm talking about here, okay? We're talking about just that general marriage difficulty, which all of us experience, right? Now, I'll say this. It's true that perseverance in marriage doesn't even make sense unless you're convinced about eternity. If you really believe this is all you have, then you might as well grab all the gusto. That's why Christians must marry Christians, because they, they should have the same perspective on life. You see the difference? Christian persistence is based on the belief that there's another life beyond this one, which is eternal. And this world is not the most important. This world is not anything more than preparation for the next. Now, I know that's easy to say for me. But you need to spend some time working that through in your spirit. The eternal rewards of the coming world, and I, I don't know what it looks like. I can read your revelation. We're going to preach through some of that uh, in Daniel. 
but the eternal rewards of the coming world where Jesus resides are worth making sacrifices now to receive reward later. Is that fair? Is that, can you do that? Because that's what we're doing, see? That's what we're doing. 2 Corinthians 4, 17. For our present troubles are small. Now this is a guy writing who was in prison at this time. For our present troubles are small and won't last very long. You know, it was, it's shocking to me to realize I've been here 25 years. Somebody said to me, you used to have hair. But then she said, but you look better now than you did with your hair. And I'm thinking, you should not be lying in this concourse. <laughs> but I have maintained my shape. But um, For our present troubles are small and won't last very long. It won't last very long. Jimmy, did you reach your age kind of fast? You were just starting out learning how to use those dental tools yesterday, weren't you? Yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. Memorize that one. What does your marriage or your approach to marriage reveal about your belief in eternity? It's there, isn't it? And then a third essential for an enduring marriage is to extend forgiveness. Colossians 3.13. Make allowance for each other's faults. Forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. We can read that almost as a threat. I don't think it's a threat. I think it's an awareness that our sin, my sin against God is greater than any person's sin against me could possibly be. And since I've been forgiven my many offenses, how can I possibly withhold forgiveness to someone else? Particularly someone I am joined to for life whose best in interest should be my motivation. Marriage provides a greater opportunity to practice forgiveness than any other relationship. I mean, let's be honest, when, a, when an acquaintance or even a friend offends us, it causes pain. But when this person who has committed for life to us when that person does or says something hurtful, particularly when they know our most sensitive spots, it feels like betrayal, doesn't it? Because this person has committed to love me forever and, and this person has committed to, to always care about my best. The person you marry will hurt you. Sometimes intentionally.
so forgiveness is an essential spiritual, and I could add emotional discipline. Well, what if my spouse refuses to apologize and won't change? You can still forgive. You may not be able to fully reconcile. Because remember Romans 12, 18 says, as much as it depends on you, be at peace with all. Other people's actions don't dictate our responses. Now remember that, I keep saying this over and over. My responses, what's the rest of my sentence? Are always and only about who? Me. Do you believe that? Our responses are always and only about us. I didn't say this other person hasn't done something wrong, but my responses are about me. And our unforgiveness damages us. It, it, unforgiveness leads to resentment, resentment which descends into bitterness. And bitterness mars our souls. It robs us of peace. The person hasn't done or said anything to us possibly in decades. And yet we're bitter today and we're miserable today. It doesn't hold that person who hurt us responsible. So if we all know that, right? I mean, that wasn't new to anyone in this room. Well, then why is forgiveness so hard? Because our ability, listen clearly, my ability, your ability to forgive is based on my belief. If we won't forgive, it's because our unforgiveness is doing something for us. If we really believe, for example, that another person's sin, if, if I believe someone's sin against me is a lot worse than my sin against God, I won't forgive. Have you noticed how we maximize offenses against us and minimize our offenses against God? So if I just think, no, I haven't really offended God in that way, not the way that person offended me, I won't forgive. If we don't really trust God to punish all offenses fully, fairly, rightly, then we'll hold on to these injuries. Because we don't really trust God. And we think this person is going to get away with the harm he did if I forgive him. Now, some of you, as I'm preaching, some of you right now say, God, is this happening in me? Because if I tell you right now, if I say, who have you not forgiven? Somebody came to mind. And then say, okay, God, show me why not. And often it's this. He'll get away with it. She'll get away with it. That doesn't make sense, I know, because it's only damaging you. It's not even affecting that person. We need to hear from God about these issues. We need to have His Spirit re replace the lies, the lies we believe about forgiveness with His truth. There's some lies we believe. You say, well, I really need some help here. 
because I've been carrying some of this resentment, some of this bitterness for decades. And I'm not minimizing that some of, some of us have suffered some terrible mistreatment. But your unforgiveness is, is not helping you. And it's not harming them. And it's not holding them accountable. How can I get, how can I get help? We've got a book back there. It's called Effortless Forgiveness. I'm not sure about the title, but <laughs> it, may be a, it may be a come on title, but, but it's, a, it's, a, it's a book to help us understand why we don't forgive and how we can forgive. Uh, Ed and Josh Smith wrote it. It's for sale back there um, and up in the bookstore. Buy a book. Read it. Talk to God. Let God's truth Free you to forgive fully, completely. I want you to know this. The, the, October 28th, we're going to do a recommitment at the end of the service as part of the service. So sit near your spouse. And we're going we're gonna to recommit, though, the things we, I've been teaching. So you can go back and look at your outlines. You can, so before I say I agree with that, I need to rewatch the podcast. Do it. You know, and keep bringing folks. You know, you know people that could be helped. These cards are still available at the coffee stations, at the desk. You know, you say, well, they've already missed three messages, four messages. Well, then watch the messages with them. Care about somebody's marriages. Counselors, you come to the front. Counselors will also be in the care connection room. They'll talk to you about marriage. They'll talk to you about a relationship with Jesus Christ. And don't forget the marriage resources that are at the ministry spotlight desk. Remember, there's a get acquainted in uh, iPod to my left right now. So if you're new to Brookwood, I urge you to attend. We won't keep you very long and we'll give you some coffee and cookies. Father, how we thank you for your word. And may it be a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. But Lord, reveal this word to us in a way that shows us ourselves. And then by your spirit, Help us to receive it, Lord, so that it changes us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for coming. Here at Brookwood Church, our desire is to assist you in pursuing a relationship with Jesus so that you can experience transformed life. One of the ways that you can do that is by getting connected here at Brookwood. If you would like to know more about the many ways you can connect with other Christians here, or if you just have any questions about who we are, you can email us at connections at brookwoodchurch.org or call us at 864-688-8326. Thank you so much for listening and have a blessed day.